So welcome to this episode of the Pepper Podcast, where we're going to be building upon the episode that we did with Johnny and Ricky about fitness and fuel and drilling into Zach's brain to understand a little bit more about the sort of scientific background about uh, fitness and fuel. But first of all, glad that you're feeling better, Zach. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, just had a bit of a a lapse in in perfect health <laughs> i wouldn't say it was too bad but yeah I, I just wasn't wasn't right bit of a headache um but great to be back and yeah i just think it's just important that i give a little bit of a background into why you know why um i'm talking about this and why uh you know maybe you should listen to, <laughs> to what i'm saying or um so my background i mean i, I my background in sport um all sport i i just love i've I, I've worked with people across the board in my sports psychology business, but I also come from a, a fitness background. I've um, I played um, a couple of sports to a reasonably high level that require you know quite a, a decent level of fitness. So I competed in um, CrossFit, weightlifting, rugby, water polo, swimming. Um, although those two are quite closely related, um, a javelin um, as a, as a young athlete, I've done. I'm currently competing in a, an even more niche sport, I think, than Ethan Fives called a kettlebell sport, which is massive in Russia, not so massive in the rest of the world. Um, but yeah, so so my background is quite diverse in terms of my my fitness, but I also formalised a lot of this in my education. So I've done a, done two years of study of exercise science. So I've got a higher certificates. I've worked as a personal trainer um, for a number of years um, and informally trained some people still. And yeah, basically my, my passion for fitness and health started from um, basically after I left school and I, I, I was a bit I was a bit overweight. I think I took three months off of exercise after I left school and and stopped stopped training altogether. Uh, it was kind of that gap between um, school and uni where I decided I'd rather have a beer every day than go to the gym every day mm. and uh, I started first year uni having put on all the weight that people normally put on during their first year of uni um, I crammed that into the gap uh, before I started um, and just thought man I need to get control of this so I studied some studied diet and nutrition um, you know practiced what I preached and lost all that weight and got got healthy pretty quickly um, I'm also uh, I'm also type one diabetic, so you know my my health and my interest in health is it's part of my everyday life. You know, carb counting has become just you know breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and every snack in between. You know, I, I think about these things constantly. So, so it's a, pa- a passion and part of my education. Uh, that's a that's a long ramble. <laughs> oh, it's a good CV of stuff that you've you've done. Definitely will be. <laughs> listening to what you you say with anticipation um one thing that you were saying about how you obviously were playing a lot of sport and then you took a three-month break did you do it as if like so the thing that I've heard that kind of what that made me think of is about how Olympians train post Olympics or post retirement that they can't think it was who was it I think there was an interview with Steve Redgrave or something that I saw and after he stopped rowing you he has to kind of keep going for ages because your metabolism is still going 100 million miles an hour you still want to eat the same amount and you have to kind of slowly wean yourself down or else 
they may have had a situation maybe even worse than the sort of three months that you took off that their body just going from one extreme to another just can't deal with it. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, on like a micro level, we talk about how you you should still be eating the same amount of food to fuel your body, even on days where you're not exercising, or at least pretty close to you shouldn't just drop off completely because you know treating your body like it's a 24-hour um, machine and it just operates in 24-hour cycles is just it's, it's a seriously flawed uh, way of looking at things um, you know we we should look at weeks um, we should look at uh, you know longer period of time because what we expend um, in on one day we we need to replenish to recover in, in the next and, and onwards from that. So, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't say that my three months was as tactical as Steve Redgrave, also an absolute legend of a, a diabetic um, Olympian. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Good knowledge. Notorious for um, stashing sugar in the boat while he's, while he's training and also for, um, you know, just eating sweets and hugely high calories because of how hard he trained, um, as you can imagine. So he, um, he, managed, he had a huge drop-off in performance after becoming diabetic. Just a little bit of insight into that. You need insulin to convert glucose and carbohydrates into energy. Um, without insulin, you cannot do that. And that sugar just circulates through your bloodstream. Um, so he had a huge drop-off in performance because he literally could not create energy. You know, an Olympian like that, um, performing the way he, he did, um, and there's many out there, you know, Henry Slade playing rugby for England. He's, he's another example. Um, you know, there are some, it's, it's highly manageable these days. But Steve Redgrave, yeah, he would stash sugar in the boat. He tried to follow a diet plan to um, kind of keep, um, keep to that, that what you'd expect an Olympic athlete to be, to be eating. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, what does it sound like? Chicken and rice and um, pretty, pretty bland foods. <laughs> yeah. And, but he, his performance dropped off there because he just couldn't, um, couldn't get the calories that he needed in that kind of food and, and was really struggling. So he, uh, stories go that he just pushed that aside and just ate whatever he wanted to fuel what he needed to do. And when you have a good understanding of what your body needs to perform, then that process is a lot more simple. So I had a question on, you were saying that you should have the same amount of calories every day ish whether you're doing exercise or not but does the breakdown in the types of food you're eating make a difference so for example I've definitely heard on days that you're doing exercise you should be your sort of carb ratio should be higher um, and then on you know days that you're resting you try and increase the sort of proteins and healthy fats and you have a lower carb percentage in order to help the recovery yeah, um, that's that's definitely that's really really good advice, and that's exactly exactly right. So if we think of carbs and fats as energy, right? Carbs are um, fast released energy; fats are slow released energy. We need we need both. And when you think about fives, you you realize that you need fast release energy for short bursts, and you need slow release energy for um, almost like maintenance. You you need for and for longer duration. Um, protein is really about recovery. So if we think about um, preparing for sport, we need um, energy for beforehand and we need recovery afterwards. So managing and, and we need to replenish energy that's been used. 
So on a, a training day, we will look at um, grouping our carbohydrates and fats to before and after exercise um, and protein spread th throughout to, um, so that we can recover. On non-training days, you, you have to think, why am I eating carbs and fats? You know, I'm eating them to replenish the, the energy that I used before, but I'm not necessarily fueling exercise. So if I'm eating the same amount of carbs that I would before playing fives, then what am I using that energy for? You know, there's not, there's not as much requirement. Your body doesn't need it. So, but because you've worked hard the day before, for example, you might need more protein to, to help replenish that, well, to, to help your muscles recover. And the, and the faster you can recover, the faster you can, you know, play to the level that you want to again. So we want to um, replenish our energy and we want to uh, recover. So grouping, as I said, group your carbs and fats surrounding your workout. And then on non-training days, um, spread those up more, um, more evenly throughout the day. Um, and then only eat what you necessarily need to fuel your activity or your recovery. So sometimes if you worked really hard the day before, you will need the same amount of carbohydrates and fats to replenish that lost energy the next day because you'll still be still need that um, because your body will still be running. It's not a 24-hour cycle, as I say. You, you're still going to be needing to replenish that fuel. Okay, so I've got an idea. I want to tell you what I typically have before yeah. a tournament and during, sort of, and... Uh, I can never remember what I have afterwards. I don't think I think about the post uh, post tournament, post match as much as I should do. Um, but let me know what you think. So okay. typically before tournaments, I will have probably um, peanut butter on toast with jam, so strawberry jam, PB and J if you're American. Yeah, is that is that breakfast? Yeah, breakfast. Yeah. So typically it's like a. Sometimes it's like white sourdough, but typically it's um, like a kind of multi-grain brownish bread, uh, peanut butter, sometimes crunchy, sometimes smooth. I'm sure there's some people that have some opinions on that. Yeah, crunchy all the way. <laughs> and then strawberry jam with a cup of tea. But uh, that's typically my breakfast. Is that a good one to be having or is there ways that I could improve that? Should I be taking off the jam for example or uh... no no so so i really like that peanut butter um is just fantastic you know high high in fats high in protein um so that's two energy systems already covered so you've got your well you've got your protein for recovery and you've got your your fats for for energy that's that's already a good start adding in the, the carbohydrates so your your bread um if it's a whole grain it's more likely to be um, kind of a, a slower releasing carbohydrate rather than a fast releasing carbohydrate. So there are you know, variations of these things, but then you've got your strawberry jam, for example, which is um, that sugar, which is concentrated carbohydrate. So um, for those of you who don't know, sugar is the same as carbohydrates. It's just highly concentrated. So they are the same. So when you talk about carbohydrates, oh, and alcohol is also a carbohydrate. So, um, well, alcohol is a sugar, which is then a carbohydrate. Okay, but we'll get to that. So you've got a fast-releasing carb in your in your strawberry jam. You've got a medium-releasing carb in your in your bread. You've got a good maintenance energy in your fats and your peanut butter, and you've got um, protein for recovery. 
And so that's, you know, that's brilliant. And then hopefully some water in there too. So you've got some hydration. Water, um, water is so important. So our macronutrients are carbohydrates, for example, bread and jam, uh, fats, for example, um, oils uh, like found in peanuts, and then protein, uh, for example, found in meat or eggs or fish or lentils. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. And then sometimes people count water as a macro just to stress its importance. Um, so those are our, our kind of macronutrients. So I'd say that your breakfast is, is great. Um, personally, I'd probably add in, um, you know, maybe a little bit more protein, um, like, a, like an egg, um, boiled egg. Uh, it would be <laughs> would be a handy one, um, but you also don't want to overeat. So just all, it depends on the person. Depends, you know, how much like muscle mass are you needing to fuel. Um, so maybe an extra slice of toast, you know, can can go a long way, or or some cheese. You know, cheese yeah. is also protein and fats as well. So that's really interesting because I think I quite heavily load at breakfast because something that came up a bit on the other podcast is that. I know throughout tournaments I should eat, but my body, especially after like more intense matches, I really struggle to like eating food makes me feel sick, basically, except bananas. So I can eat bananas. I do try and get a little bit of pasta in or some kind of carb to kind of keep me going. But um, it's, it's difficult for me because we've been in the mixed or in what I was saying to Johnny I've, you know, had fuel, but then at lunchtime, I know I should eat because I've got a big semi-final coming up or another big game, but I really struggle. Like my body just is like, nah, no, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you have any insight into why that might be? Because I don't yeah. like it to go away. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I, I can completely relate. If my heart rate's up uh, or, you know, trying to come down, eating something just it's a drain it's difficult and you you feel like you struggle to digest and all that it's why um you know marathon runners or anyone out for like long distance um cardio will take those like carbohydrate gels those um little <clears throat> or like a uh, like a little orange juice or like any anything that's going to be um easily digestible carbohydrate so easily digestible is the the main point here is that you need something that isn't going to put strain on your body to, to metabolize. So that can be in terms of quantity because, um, you know, your, your heart rates up you're you know, you're, you're moving around a lot and you don't have time to just, or you don't want to just sit and digest and rest. Yeah. Your heart rate's still, still sky high. Um, so especially if there's a short break, you know, if you're looking at an hour, you, you almost don't want to be eating anything. You definitely don't want to be eating anything substantial, um, but you still want to get the nutrients in. So I would advise, you know, you're looking at something like a, a banana is fantastic. Um, like a, a Snickers, you know, they, that's always a good one. Just something small that can replenish carbohydrates and fats because you want your energy, energy systems to, to be refueled. Um, but yeah, keep, keep it to a minimal, you know, you don't want to go and eat, you know, have a, have a big a steak or something in between, in between matches because your body's going to be working so hard to digest that, that you're actually not going to break down the, um, the macronutrients into energy by the time you, you play again. So you, you might, you know, only start accessing that food for energy midway through the game. 
and then you're still feeling that digestion process. So those glucogels, um, <clears throat> those, those are great. A banana, a fruits, you know, fruits are great shot. So on that note, what is for the sort of different food types, the amount of time that it takes for it to be hitting your body? So for example, I have my toast, but then usually it's a, you know, one hour drive to eat and for a tournament, then like, when is it going to impact me? So <clears throat> this is where um, quite a familiar term, I'm sure for some people is glycemic index, like sugar has a very high glycemic index. We'll look at um, glucose has a glycemic index of 100 on the one end of the scale, and then something low to no carbohydrate would be zero. So a high glycemic index will be something that that'll hit you pretty quickly in terms of its energy value. Um, so sometimes almost instantly, you know, if you're just eating sugar out of a packet, that's going to be pretty quick energy. You have a, a glucose kind of gel and um, that's going to hit you, hit, hit you quickly. Um, people metabolize things at different speeds. So it's, it's really, it's hard to say, but I would say, you know, if you're having a jam sandwich within 10 to 15 minutes, you know, I mean, the, the, the strawberry jam will, will be the first thing to interact with you. Then the, then the bread, um, then the, then the fats. Um, so you'll metabolize that third. And then the protein is probably the slowest metabolizing, you know, give yourself time to not feel full. And that's really, you know, you've given yourself enough time to digest enough to, to give yourself energy, but then not too long that you're hungry again by the time you exercise. So I don't think about my post-recovery food enough like sometimes I do sometimes I'm like oh I should have an egg or eat some chicken <laughs> but um actually I don't really consider that as a part of my routine as much as I should at least in comparison to how I think about my breakfast before a tournament or a game what would you suggest are the best kind of foods for muscle recovery making sure that you're not hurting the next day things like that yeah, with that kind of thing, it, it's funny because we often think about food as getting digested and then we have energy, but there's actually quite a complex interaction that goes on. So, for example, protein needs to synthesize with your muscle for it to repair. But also when we eat carbohydrates, they get stored in the muscle as glycogen, and then glycogen is what allows our muscles to contract, and that's what used as energy. When we run out of glycogen stores, so if we're completely depleted we need to replenish that your body will try and naturally produce some some of it however you need to replenish what you've lost so post-workout meal you need protein for recovery for muscle repair so it's synthesized with the muscle to repair it and then you need to replenish glycogen stores That's a lot of long words that i'm yeah. not going to be able to google so what would be your ideal post match post tournament recovery meal so it's always going to come to a well-balanced diet, you know, it's what, <laughs> you know, we hear it a hundred thousand times and we never know what that means. So you want something that is going to replenish your glycogen. So carbs, eat carbs. Don't be scared of carbs, eat carbs, a, a fruit for your fast acting. So that would be for almost immediate replenishment of your carbohydrates. Then you want to, uh, you want to be hydrated. So make sure that you've got water. It takes something like 500 mils of water to burn 500 calories. You need to, to refuel immediately. So that would be your banana, fruit, other fruits, fruit juice. 
then something like a slow digesting carbohydrate. So vegetables, generally quite good for that. Brown or whole wheat, brown rice, whole wheat bread, um, whole wheat pasta. I say whole wheat because that's a good medium digesting carbohydrate, something that'll fuel you for your recovery over time and not something that you'll just use up immediately. So your body is going to be gasping for something and that'll be your, your fruit. And then you'll want something to just slowly release and keep your recovery going. And then you want fats. Your fats are quite good for your, for your joints. So salmon, rice and salmon, rice and broccoli. It is. Salmon, rice and broccoli, maybe um, after, a, after a match, a few more, a few more carbs thrown in there. So some, some good green veg, eat as much green veg as you can and as much as you like. And then maybe something more immediately digestible um, straight after after training and then something kind of well-rounded. The other question that I had actually was around caffeine. So I've heard that caffeine can be quite good to help you focus on the task at hand. Obviously, that sounds really obvious, but, you know, when you're doing sport, you focus on your goal rather than necessarily the pain, for example. So a lot of running gels that you were saying have caffeine in them for that reason however I also assume that you can go too far the other way so this wasn't a sporting occasion but I remember the one and only time that I've taken pro plus which is like a caffeine pill which was when I thought I had to cram for an exam terrible idea because the caffeine was too much like I ended up doing nothing because I was so wired that it was freaking me out and I did not like the sensation but yeah thoughts on on caffeine yeah, um, caffeine. I actually read an article about this yesterday, funnily enough, and it was just talking about caffeine as for performance enhancement is only really as effective as it can be if you don't use it often. So having three cups of coffee a day and then thinking, oh, I'll just have another one before I exercise, the performance benefits aren't going to be nearly as much as they would be if you'd cut out the rest of your caffeine for the day and then just had your coffee before exercise. And that's when you're going to get the, the most benefits. Caffeine and managing caffeine intake is really about arousal. So it's about how do I get myself, my body and my mind in that peak performance point. So your body, you'll feel more awake, you'll feel more energized, you'll feel like you can concentrate more. But if you push yourself over the edge and have too much, then you can have jitters. So that's like your psychosomatic thing. You, you know, get a proper shake going. I mean, I've done this many times because I do, I'll have like two cups of coffee and then I'll have like a pre-workout before I go exercise. And it's just far too much caffeine, get really anxious. And it's just not valuable at all as a performance booster. So my advice is if you want to get the performance benefits of caffeine, minimize the amount of caffeine you have outside of your your training or your your performance stick to you know 80 milligrams to 130 milligrams of caffeine uh, at a max depending on your body weight so to get technical about it, a cup of coffee is probably 80 milligrams so have your coffee before you play and and manage it you got you need to understand the effects on, on yourself but the benefits are, are there it's definitely known as a i think it's a vasodilator so it helps improve the flow of oxygen around the body and that's going to really help performance because you, you'll be able to break down lactic acid faster even even more efficiently so it'll really open up those pathways to, to help improve performance and help improve the flow of oxygen through your lungs 
don't overdo it because you will completely crash. <laughs> it's always a warning sign. You tell people caffeine's good for performance and they go, well, I'll have as much as I possibly can manage. Everything in moderation. And as we've repeated, only do things that you've kind of trained your body to be able to deal with for a long period of time, not <laughs> just the, the two days running up to a tournament. Yeah, don't have a triple espresso for the first time in your life just before you play an important game of fives. Or, or do, and just let us know how it went. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really useful. I'll be definitely uh, applying that to the next full tournaments or matches that, that, we, that I'm playing, hopefully soon. Well, actually, on that note, I've now played my first game from being back from lockdown, which is very nice, but I am a bit achy in, in certain places, so the top of my arms... And particularly along the sort of sides of my lungs, <laughs> I guess. What would you suggest? So obviously Johnny and Ricky went into some of the things that they've been doing, running hit type sessions. What would you recommend as people start to build up playing fives again? Bearing in mind that they are, a lot of people will be working from home, uh, not doing the same amount of sort of general movement that they would have been doing normally. What would you, what is your kind of suggestion on that? Undoubtedly, you will be stiff after playing. That's that's just going to be a fact. <laughs> Unless you've been exercising more and putting your body through more um, at home or out out running than you would in a fives game, you will be you will be stiff. So unless you've been emulating it perfectly, it's it's going to hurt. So just um, you know, be be careful going into it. I think Ricky um, suggested this. Um, you know, don't go. Don't go all in on your first day. Don't go. Don't go too hard. Um, don't expect to perform a, a full Ricky lunge, um, you know, on, on day one after not uh, not exercising for a while. It's difficult to combat twenty four hours of sitting at a desk, sitting on a couch, lying in bed, getting up and doing the same thing with twenty minutes of exercise a day. You know, your body is undoubtedly going to stiffen up. You know, working from home, we're spending less time walking um, just in general. Trying to combat that amount of time just sitting still and getting, you know, going from that to, to playing fives where your body does get put through, you know, quite the range of motion. If you're doing you know, any kind of jump shots from back court or uh, cutting or, or trying to return from kind of getting your body into a low position, you've got quite a, quite a range of motion that you need to put your body through. So I think when people are getting back into it, Expect stiffness, but give yourself the best chance. And my tips to give yourself the best chance of recovering so you can play again the next day or play again two days later, you need to you need to be able to recover quickly. And that starts with your warm-up. So I would suggest for your warm-up, you want to put your body through your, your full range of motion. So you want to start by doing some progressively deeper lunges, some deeper squats, some, you know, some some rotation movements. Yeah, the rotation one is one that I haven't thought about so much before. Because, I mean, I do a mix of kind of straight cardio and sort of HIIT workouts. And those HIIT workouts do a little bit more movement that in some ways is similar to fives. Like, uh, what do I do? Skaters to work on those kind of switching and changing directions. High knees, although the twisting one is one that I don't do as much as maybe now feeling the pain down the side I should do. Yeah, in incorporating, you know, different planes of movement. So, you know, some laterals, so some side-to-side movements. Um, a lot of how we train and how we prepare for, for sport, funnily enough, is all in the frontal plane. And you think sit-ups and squats and push-ups and 
um, any kind of shoulder rotations, uh, we tend to just move in, move our arms in, in front of ourselves and we, we don't do enough rotation. Meanwhile, in sport, we're constantly rotating and stabilizing and you know moving our arms across our bodies. You're leading with one shoulder and coming across with the other you know when you're when you're cutting there's a lot of rotation in there and you know those muscles around your lungs so it's your serratus those muscles tend to get so sore i, I think about when i whenever i sprint for the first time after just not sprinting for a while and you think that that isn't a straight line generally but because your shoulders are rotating and you're moving there's actually so much rotation in any kind of athletic movement so preparing for that preparing your body for that by throwing in some rotation like you were saying some skaters or doing some some russian twists almost holding yourself in a sit-up position and just dropping your elbow to the to the floor on on each side you know those those are movements that can just help that rotation and and prepare you for that kind of post uh, exercise pain that you know or delayed onset muscle soreness that we we talk about so doms for those of you that, that, that don't know that one, uh, you'll know it very soon <laughs> when you get back onto court. So yeah, kind of incorporating it and increase the length of your warm up. So if you'd normally do five minutes, do 10 minutes, really, you know, push your body through its range of motion. You know, if, if you've been sitting at a desk, your hip flexors, for example, will have been severely shortened over time. You know, you want to do some lunges, really stretch out your, your hips. There's very few of us that could potentially be able to do the splits or even get anywhere near or reach down and touch our toes. You know, these are things our bodies are capable of doing if we, if we work at them. But because we are just stagnant for so much of our days or we sit in positions that shorten certain muscles, it's important that we, we work through our range of motion and we get that, that mobility through the joints. It's really about uh, stretching out the muscles and the tendons so that our joints can achieve their full range of motion. So kind of working towards that. So then you can actually, you know, you don't want the first time your your body goes to its full range of motion to be when you're playing fires. You know, that's just asking for an injury is if you do something explosive and you you know your body hasn't moved that way in months then that muscle you know you're putting yourself in in danger of tearing something pulling something spraining something yeah so special attention to warm-ups and cool downs just so important so i was a fitness coach for my rugby team before and they used to hate it when i after a full 80 minutes of running into people you know you say right we need to run run a lap of the field and, and stretch and cool down and everyone's shattered and just wants to get to the pub. And uh, you, you just think it's so important for that that next day and the next game and preventing injuries. So I'd say tack on 10 minutes before and 10 minutes after. Just so important. And then 10 minutes the next morning when you wake up and before you go to bed the next evening. You know, it's, it's about forming good habits of pushing your body through more of a range of motion than you are used to. Yeah, that's really... So, I mean, I did do a little bit of a stretch, probably not as long as I should have done after the first game back yeah no I I've definitely tried and this is something that's happened more recently to incorporate more of yoga into what I do so typically now it's first thing in the morning on some days and using that to just kind of help keep at least some kind of stretch in some of those muscles so as you say touching your toes hip flexors especially especially as I'm someone that when I run my hips hurt and so building that hip flexor strength is really important for me generally but it's, yeah, something I've definitely been building in more into my regime. 
maybe it's because I'm getting older, I don't know, but, um, you know, needing to stretch a little bit more and the likes. But I think it is definitely something that people should do and concentrate on a little bit more. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, so funny you mentioned the, the yoga. I mean, I, I do it every morning now. I've got a 30 minute session um, with with a group of people over Zoom, but it is it's just forming good habits like that. And going back to the point about not treating your body like a 24-hour machine is that we progressively can shorten a, a tendon or a, or a muscle by only putting it through 50% of its potential or a joint even. So we can restrict a movement of a joint, we can restrict the movement of muscle by just not using it. That can comp- compound over time. And, you know, when you say, oh, maybe it's because I'm getting old, it's like, well, actually, not at all. It's just because over time that certain muscles have become restricted or there's imbalances. I, I put my back out when I was in my early 20s and that was because of my posture. I I would stand on my left leg all the time. So my balance on my left leg is fantastic, but I basically not bear any weight on my right leg. So identifying that, I realized that I developed a, kind of an anterior pelvic tilt, which is when my pelvis just tilted slightly forward and then off to the left because my my posture you know that's what I was just doing again and again and again and then your muscles learn that's what you do so posture is kind of a foundation of of everything if you've got poor posture then your muscles are already imbalanced and muscular um, symmetry is is really what you want to achieve so that you can prevent injury so putting both sides you know if you split your body into you know, down the middle, vertical line, then you, you want to you want to make sure that both sides can achieve the same range of motion as as each other, especially in fives, thinking, you know, how you, you use both hands. And if you want to be able to use both hands effectively, you can't have a left shoulder that can only move through 50% and a right shoulder that can you move through 100%. You're obviously going to end up relying more or struggling more with your left. So incorporating in good habits, like 10 minutes of stretching in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon, you know, just constantly doing something that puts a muscle group through a a joint rather through its full range of motion or you try to or you work towards that then that's going to have a huge impact on your your risk of injury and your longevity of playing playing the game yeah i think it's something you can quite easily incorporate so a friend of mine she used to call it stretch with with boris so and it was the daily briefings okay they don't exist now but uh, she used to do her stretching in that time while she was watching that. And so it can be as simple as just, you know, finding a time when you're watching TV or something that you just, for the first 10, 15 minutes, just do some stretching while you're doing that. So it can be very sort of simple to incorporate, I think. So we spoke with Johnny and Ricky a little bit about what they do to kind of recover, but they both had very different ways of building their fitness. So Johnny was very much cardio, long distance, uh, you know, long distance running, long distance cycling, whereas Ricky didn't enjoy that and was much more inclined to hit. And we sort of briefly explained what the differences of those were. But from a more scientific standpoint, what is the differences? What are the pros and cons between those two different types of methods to develop your cardiovascular fitness? Yeah. So when, when you think about pre- preparation for a sport, you need to break down kind of what the demands are. Um, so with fives, if you could guarantee that a fives game was going to last, say, less than 20 minutes every time, then you probably wouldn't need to do any long duration cardio. 
uh, because that's just not a demand of the sport. You know, 20 minutes of jumping and hitting and um, exploding off the mark and quick kind of agile movements, you, you wouldn't require that, that cardio so much. But because you can't guarantee that and there's the likelihood that the game's going to last longer, you're going to be on your feet for a lot longer, then you see where the, the longer duration cardio can come in. The way that I like to frame it is that cardio is the foundation for everything. You know, cardiovascular, you know, it's your heart. The efficiency that your heart pumps blood uh, around your body is the efficiency that, that you get oxygen to your muscles. I would say a combination of both the high intensity intervals, which will match the demand of your cut, your um, quick sprints across court, your lunge, any kind of explosive effort, it'll match that really well. But the cardio element, that's where you see your recovery in between those movements. If you've got a you've got a strong heart and you've got a good foundation of cardio where you're, you know, you've got a, a low resting heart rate, then you've got less of a heart rate spike and your body can kind of react to the demands of a, an explosive movement a lot more effectively. So by having a foundation of cardio and a low resting heart rate, when you do movements that spike your heart rate, that spike is not going to be up to your maximum heart rate immediately. So for example, if you look at a weightlifter, they generally don't focus on cardio because of the demands of their sport, um, which also means that if they go for a run, their heart rate is going to spike massively in a short amount of time, but their, their sport doesn't require them to recover quickly to do the weight again and again and again. It's just a one-off. So as you need to recover between explosive movements, the requirement for a base of cardio is vital. So someone like Johnny focusing on, on cardio and longer intensity cardio will be able to recover exceptionally quickly between movements and will have that appearance of just being able to go all day on, on court and not tire because any kind of movement that demands an, an explosive action, he will be back to kind of equilibrium almost immediately. It won't take long at all for, for him to recover. And then someone, someone like Ricky, who focuses on those explosive movements most of the time, will then have less of a demand from each of those movements. They won't be as tiring. So your body can adapt to the demands of those, those two. So a combination of both is, is important. But it will also depend on the playing style of the person. So if you're quite active on your feet and you, you don't tend to stop between, between shots, if you don't rest, then you're going to need a good level of cardio. So if you're constantly moving on court and trying to get yourself into a better position, so you're very active off the ball, then you're going to need cardio because you aren't slowing down, you aren't stopping. So I think playing style has a has a big role to play there. Yeah, that's not thought about it like that. Because I do a mix of everything, like a, a bit of weights, a bit of hit, a bit of cardio. So I just, you know, throw it all in to <laughs> try and see how it helps in, in the sport. Um, was there anything else that you picked up on from what Johnny or Ricky were saying that really sort of resonated with you that you thought you would build upon in, in this episode? Yeah, um, I think Johnny made a point that it was nice to find a partner that would go to sleep at the same time as he would. I think that's that's an interesting point because sleep has such an effect on performance. And there's actually a huge movement at the moment. I, I think people are making a lot of money on this. Is um, you know obviously mattresses and sleep apps and. Now, you know, it's been quite a general public thing for a long time, but now it's specifically looking at performance. 
and getting a proper night's sleep. So a, a great example that I, that I came across a while back was a, the, it was a study done on the effects of a lack of sleep on explosive performance. So on it was on it was on rugby players and it was looking at lower body explosive performance. So when you're thinking about anything like a, a jump or a lunge, you know that's that's quite an explosive movement. So the study found that lack of sleep had a direct impact on performance and the difference when they tested that there was one or up between one and three hours less um, sleep there was a quite a dramatic decrease in, in performance and if you're thinking about again a sport that requires you to be doing these movements often and let's say you're losing the distance of a hand every single time you execute a movement and it's going to deteriorate even faster because of a lack of sleep then you know you can see how that would have quite an effect on your game so especially at a tournament where it's not just one game and food and hydration aren't quite going to compensate for for lack of sleep then it's so important that i mean seven to eight hours at a minimum or whatever your body generally needs again we're not looking at a 24-hour bracket we're looking at a week you know have you been getting five hours of sleep at night for the whole week and then the day before a tournament you try catch up by getting eight you're not going to pull back all that time so preparation starts the week leading up to something you know this is why if you've got tournaments back to back over a few weekends you really need to to bear in mind what what an effect that your your sleeping patterns are going to have. I think that was that was definitely something that that I thought was quite a subtle um, mm. comment that that Johnny made, but just such an important one. There's a lot of obviously excitement around tournaments, and you know then there's the social involved as well. And um, you know this the study that I mentioned the the main focus of the study was actually on alcohol consumption, but the the secondary finding was that lack of sleep had an effect on performance. But basically, this study sent a, sent a bunch of lads out in the town. Um, they pre-tested them two days before on a jump height test, and then they the guys went out went out in the town. and And the idea was that it was in a natural setting. So this is what the paper says: it's a natural setting. So they sent them to the pub, and then they just had to basically record how many drinks they had. Now, on average, it was between six and nineteen units. Yeah, there was a there's a massive impact on explosive power up to two days later. So this is this is kind of the main point is that if you think oh I've got a game on Sunday I can still go out on Friday night that will still affect you drinking will still affect you lack of sleep will still affect you up to two days later so this is why we don't look at things in that twenty four hour bracket up to forty eight hours later there's still going to be an effect of that night out that social that that excitement uh, leading into a tournament something like consistency is definitely key. So, you know, Johnny and Ricky were both saying that, you know, in terms of food and stuff, it didn't necessarily make a difference, but making sure that they were eating something that they already knew or their body had worked with before was part of it. And I think I've heard a lot of stories around sleep that, you know, making sure that you're at least waking up at the same time to keep your body in a certain rhythm, like makes a huge difference. So I think it's, yeah, as you were saying, you can't just make it up one day by sleeping 20 hours it has to be a kind of consistent level which I think is why you see especially like people that are training for marathons for example you they do just have to change their lifestyle and people that are going into sort of more pro sport or taking their sport very seriously do change their lifestyles because it's not you can eat badly you can sleep badly you can drink loads for three days and then the other four days you're going to be fine so the other thing 
is with your view of fives coming in, maybe from a slightly more outside perspective, how would you go about balancing your kind of different kinds of training? So taking match play out of the equation, I know we've discussed it's important, but you know, what would your ratio be between yoga or some kind of stretching or Pilates, hit type sessions, cardio sessions and strength sessions? Because I know I do a complete mix. And so <laughs> it'd be interesting to hear what your thoughts would be. Yeah, so I think something we keep hammering on about is not treating your body like it's a 24-hour. And that's on a real micro level. If you, want to look, if you want to look at fitness and preparation for fives, we have to look at almost the whole year and how we would program a cycle of training. So I would say that improving your cardiovascular fitness and actually getting long-term benefit from that, that takes a long time. It can take up to a year to really improve, to really you know, have a difference to your lungs and to your heart. And so you want to be pushing your cardio off season and give yourself a couple of weeks after if you've had a, had a tough season, but then start running, you know, start running, cycling, swimming, anything that's really going to, going to improve your cardio. That'll be your steady state cardio and, and just work on that. As you start getting closer to fives, starting that uh, eight weeks out, I would say that's when you really want to start focusing on your, your, uh, your hit training. The general cycles are for, the, for this type of training is after a season, a couple of weeks off, do some strength training. So build the strength that you need with reduced cardio. Then move if you, need, if you feel you need to get stronger. Then move into pure cardio, doing steady state cardio. Um, while you know doing a maintenance session in the gym and then as you get close to the season doing your hit training because you're not going to get super cardiovascularly fit just before the season starts and doing a lot of cardio during the season isn't necessarily going to benefit you managing those cycles and going through say, strength cardio high intensity and then peaking in your high intensity training so taking it easy building it up building it up and then when the season starts being at the kind of level that you want to be, then that should happen, say, two weeks to a week before you play. Because again, you don't want to be pushing your body to its absolute limits in high intensity interval training the day before you play. And then managing your energy throughout the season. So, you know, keeping on top of your fitness. So, you know, you only need to work at, say, 70% of your, of your, your top fitness to maintain that throughout. So I would say during a heavy competition season, you don't need to be pushing yourself if you've prepared correctly for it. So if you've gone through a good preparation phase, then it's really just about maintenance and you don't need to be at 100%. Um, but I would say, again, work on improving your weaknesses, work on what, what you need to. So if you're not feeling fit enough, then add in some cardio. If you're not feeling fast enough, then add in some high intensity intervals or some speed work, some agility work. And just manage that and just keep it um, not too close to important competitions. So let's say you're competing on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday, do that kind of work on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and then recover. I definitely need to take a look at my this regime. <laughs> I mean, I do a bit of everything. I would say I'm on like, not right now. I mean, I'm just kind of building up again at the moment, but when I was peak lockdown, when I was at my like best or when I've, been really focusing on my fitness you know it would be two cardio sessions two or three hit kind of sessions some of them which are like short and more intense and some which are an hour but 
slightly lower intensity, but still kind of doing those slight peaks and troughs. Or I do a longer run, but I do sets of walking followed by sets of sprints, sets of walking sprints. Um, and then a bit more yoga and two, maybe two strength sessions a week. I mean, yeah, it sounds like you're fitting in, fitting in all the right stuff. I feel like you can lose fitness much faster than you can gain this, gain it. Is that true? Um, to be honest, I don't think it is. Personally, my experience with it is if you've built up a consistent history of training, you know, your cardio takes a long time to fade. And maybe our motivation takes a bit of a hit or we feel out of the routine or we might take longer to warm up because we're just not used to it. But if you've, main, if you've maintained you know, a healthy diet and you haven't been you know, smoking or drinking too much, then actually you maintain quite a lot of what you've, what you've done. I remember for myself not having run for quite a long time um, and I managed to do an 18K on my first day of running in, after like eight months and then a 21K two days later and two 10Ks the next two days. I just wanted to see if I could and I could. It was just check on whether or not fitness could be maintained without actually doing it. So you're doing other things. And this is why my example with doing cardio in the off season and then doing your hit is going to be, you know, really works for prepping for a season is that you'll maintain that cardio. You don't have to be running half marathons or 10Ks all the time to then maintain that fitness and still be able to go and do those. So in my opinion, if you're looking after your body holistically, then no, fitness doesn't, it doesn't go and it takes a lot, but it does take a lot longer to build, but it depends on the rest of your habits. Are you sleeping yeah. well, eating well, drinking well? <laughs> And that concludes our episode on fitness and fuel. I hope you've enjoyed my insights into how to best prepare for your season and condition yourself and your fitness, as well as how best to fuel yourself for performance. If anyone has any questions or would like to discuss this further, I'm, I'm all ears and I'd love to talk about it. So please get in touch. All right. Thanks. Cheers.